There is something inside of you that wants to find the thing that you were made to do. Become confident of it. It'll change your perception of your future. Do you have the courage to think something beyond where you are? My calling will find me. Continue our series out of the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Series title, Send Me. And just a reminder of the context, King Uzziah's death marks the beginning of Isaiah's 60-year ministry, primarily as a prophet to the nation of Judah, covering four different kings. But before Isaiah could begin his prophetic calling, certain steps were required, certain preparation had to be made. And in the same way, before we can fulfill our calling and preparation must be made, before we can enter into this new chapter of our life, whatever the Lord has for us, we need to be ready. And I believe God has a special call on this church. He certainly does every church that lifts up Jesus Christ. But we have a unique and special call that's different from any other church. And you as an individual have a unique calling that's different than any other person. And for us to fulfill the call of God on our lives and for Bakersfield First Assembly to fulfill its destiny, we must be ready. Our hearts must be prepared. It may be a new season in your life. And whenever there is a changing of seasons in our lives, we need to be ready to answer the call for that new season. Here I am, send me. Let's look at our text, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts, and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And so again, before Isaiah could begin his prophetic ministry, he needed an encounter with God. He had to have this encounter in Isaiah 6. God had called him to be a prophet, but he needed a visitation of God's Spirit. He needed to see a new revelation of the Lord. And Before we enter into this season of our lives, whatever it may be, whatever changing season whatever the Lord has for us, we need to enter into the presence of the Lord God ourselves. There's something about the presence of the Lord. You know, God is faithful to send his presence every time we invite him, every time we want to receive him. Whenever we praise and worship in this sanctuary, the presence of God is here, whether we realize it or not. But we need to enter into God's presence because when we enter into God's presence, everything changes. And there's certain things that it can only be done in the presence of the Lord. And so here is what Isaiah saw. He saw these seraphs. They had six wings. Now, I'm telling you what, there's some awesome imagery in the Bible, but this, is, this really happened. These, these angelic beings had six wings. And two, they covered their feet, and two, their faces, and two, they were flying. Can you imagine seeing that? I tell you, if I had that vision, I'd feel called, bless God. Or that, or I think something I ate last night didn't set well with me. But we see this introduction of an angelic being called the seraph or the seraphim. And seraphs and seraphim are these special angelic beings 
There are also cherubs and cherubims mentioned in the Bible. And so whenever we see that, I want to take a little time to take a little detour and study this. Can we study this together? I think, I think angels are fascinating. The spirit realm fascinates me. It's powerful, and we need to be aware of it. And so you may have not heard of this angel before, a seraph or a cherubim. They are different, and they serve a different purpose. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, cherubim function primarily as guards or attendants to the divine throne. Seraphim appear only in Isaiah's vision and there attend God's throne and voice praises. So we see the cherubim are like guardian angels and the seraphim are worshiping angels. All the angels worship. We see this guardian function of the cherubim in Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. After God drove the man Adam and Eve out of the garden, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. And a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve had sinned and they were driven out of the garden and they were not allowed back in to partake of the tree of life. And so God assigned cherubim, these angels. And unlike the seraphim, cherubim are mentioned multiple times in scripture. Look at Psalms 99 verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. And even the ark of the covenant had cherubim and their wings would cover the Ark of the, gov uh, of the Covenant. And so we see they have this guardian purpose and function. And while cherubim serve as guardians, seraphim serve a different purpose and are less commonly mentioned in the Bible. In fact, according to Wearsby's commentary, only here in Isaiah are the seraphims exclusively mentioned in Scripture. The Hebrew word means to burn. That's what seraphim means. These are angelic beings, but it means to burn and relates to these creatures, to the holiness of God. That is why they repeat, holy, holy, holy before the throne of God. Some students think that the seraphim are the living creatures described in Revelation chapter 4. Well, let's go there and check it out. Look at Revelation 4, 6. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox. And the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Verse 8, each of the four living creatures had six wings, sound familiar, and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Notice that they had six wings and utter the same song of worship. Holy, holy, holy. And so here's what's amazing. My first point this morning is this. Number one, we worship along with angels. Is that just incredible? I want you to know that when we come here on a Sunday morning and we enter into worship, that choirs of angels join with us. Can you imagine? that? If, we, if only our eyes were open to see the angels worshiping with us. Talk about a worship band. Six wings. Man, that would be pretty awesome. The angels worship the Lord. So should we. And when we worship 
angels join in with us. And that's why it's so important that we enter into worship and participate in praise and worship. We're not called to be a spectator. We're to step into the presence of God. We're to lift our hands. We're to sing those songs. We are to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There are choirs of angels who worship the Lord and they sing that special song. Holy, holy, holy. The angels sing back and forth these words. Can you imagine just having, being able to witness that, these incredible angelic beings saying holy, and then the others repeat holy back, and it's holy, holy, holy. The fact that holy is repeated multiple times suggests supreme or perfect holiness. They're speaking of God. They're worshiping God in His holiness, and so should we. Not only is God the epitome of holiness, in addition, number two, we must be holy. God is absolute holiness. There are many attributes of God, but this is one of the foremost attributes of God, that He is holy. Another foremost attribute of God is He is love. He is not just loving, He is love. He's the definition of love. He's also the definition of holiness. Before God can use us to our full potential, before we can receive all the blessings God has for us, we must be holy. What is holiness? I'm so glad you asked. I happen to have a definition from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Holiness is moral and ethical wholeness or perfection. Some have defined it as holiness is wholly other. It's so alien to humanity because God is holy. And it's freedom from moral evil. Holiness is one of the essential elements of God's nature required of his people. Holiness may also be rendered sanctification or godliness. The word denotes that which is sanctified or set apart for divine service. And so before Isaiah could be set apart for divine service, guess what? He had to become holy. And we're going to see how he became holy in the next couple weeks. But Isaiah, in the presence of a holy God, freaked out and said, Woe is me, for I am unholy. The holiness of God, if you get a, just a, a taste, a, a glimmer of the holiness of God, it'll make you realize how unholy you are. Holiness of God is so amazing. And holiness is who God is, and holiness is what we strive to be. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Remember what Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And before we can witness God's power and presence in our lives, we must understand our need for holiness. Because if we are holy, we will see the Lord, we will see his plan, we will know his will and his purpose. You see, we want to see the Lord, but to do so, we must be holy. Look at 1 Peter 1.15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, this is important to understand. Before you can do holiness, you have to be holy. I want us to understand that holiness does not come from ourselves. It comes from God. And so before we can live a holy life, we have to be holy. 
We have to have God's holiness in our hearts. Holiness only comes from God. He's the only source. It doesn't come from ourselves or our own religion or our own legalism or our own self-righteousness. None of that is holy. It only comes from God. And so we are to be holy and that's what God calls us to be. And as we are holy in our being, then we will live out that holiness in our doing. It's about being first and doing second. So often we get salvation confused. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But if we're saved, we'll do good works. But we can't get that backwards. We don't do good works to be saved. You can't earn your way. Every religion in the world teaches that you can earn your way to heaven except Christianity. You can't earn your way. It's by grace. It's his grace that saves us. And so we receive salvation through his grace. And then through his grace, we do good works. But first, it's about being before we are doing. It always has to start in the heart as it's worked out in our flesh. We see in Easton's Bible Dictionary a further definition. Holiness in the highest sense belongs to God and to Christians as consecrated to God's service. And insofar as they are conformed in all things to the will of God, here's the key. Personal holiness is a work of gradual development. God declares us holy. He declares us righteous. When we're saved, we're righteous. But how many know we got to work that out? We're not immediately perfectly holy, and we never will be in this life, only God. But the day will come where sin will be no more, and truly we will be holy. But it's something God wants us to work out in our life. We're to walk in holiness. We're to live in holiness. We're to think in holiness. And we will grow in holiness as it comes from God. And here is another thing that, that the angels sang. The whole earth is full of his glory. The entire earth is full of God's glory. How many know that God's glory is in the earth even right now? Whether we see it or not. Just look at the beauty of creation. Just look at the order and the design of creation. There is a creator. And the heavens display his glory. And so the whole earth is full of his glory. But I want to tell you something. There, is a, there are times where there is the manifest presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God is manifest in our midst. Now, I have never seen the glory of God with my physical eyes, but I want to tell you, I've been in some church services where I felt the glory of God, where I knew the Lord's presence was thick, and so this is something to understand. What does glory mean? It means, the Hebrew word is kabod, and it literally means a heaviness. We need to see his glory, number three. And it means a heaviness or weightiness, figuratively. It represents the unchanging and manifest beauty, splendor, honor, and majesty of God. We need to see this. We need to see his glory. We need to see his beauty. We need the manifest presence, the Shekinah glory of God to meet us in this place, meet us in our prayer closet. The glory of the Lord is something that can be felt and experienced. The New Living Translation Study Bible says this. 
The Hebrew word translated glory connotes weightiness, substance, and reality. It is not the flimsy, ethereal quantity we often associate with the English term glory. It is more the idea of royal grandeur. So there's a, something different than the world's glory and God's glory. The world's glory is temporary. It fades away. But God's glory is eternal. Often in the scripture, the glory of the Lord was manifest and visible. Look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. The Israelites have been released out of Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness and they come to the place and God meets them. We see in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's what the glory does. It fills places. It fills hearts. It fills the tabernacle. It fills the temple. It fills you and me. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Would that be so awesome that the glory is so thick in this place you couldn't even get in the door? Wow. Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory. Look at John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of glory. He is the embodiment of God's glory. God is glorious. We don't seek our own glory. We only seek God's glory. But I want you to know that we are called as believers in Jesus to reflect God's glory to the world. We're like big mirrors. The glory is not in ourselves. It's in God. We just reflect it. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, glory to glory, which comes where? From the Lord. Glory only comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so you and I are just called to reflect His glory to the dark and dying world. His beauty, His majesty, we're to reflect that in our everyday life. People will be able to sense God's glory reflected in your life. And God's glory transforms us. This is why we, we need to be in the presence of the Lord. This is why we need to enter into His glory. Because something happens in the presence of God and we are changed. There are some healings, some bondages, some habits and, and some sins that can only be broken in the presence of the Lord. In the altar time where we come before the Lord. It's spiritual. We can't apply physical Remedies to spiritual problems. I have never seen God's glory, as I said, but I have sensed it. I have sensed the weightiness, the heaviness, the beauty of the Lord, the sense of his presence in my life and in this place. There was a time I was at a service. There were 10,000 people all worshiping God 
And I felt the glory of the Lord was in that place. It was like, take me to heaven now. We, you know, not pass, go, collect $200, just take me there now. And so something happened when these angels sang holy. Something happened. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds of the temple shook. This is what we know will happen in the last days. Number four, there will be a shaking. This is a promise in scripture that in the last days, the things people trust in will be shaken. And if they're not, if the foundation is not on God, they will fall. There will be a shaking. I'll never forget my first earthquake experience in California. I was a newlywed, and we were living in a mobile home, 12 by 36 mobile home at Vanguard University. That was back when it was Southern California College, and they didn't have any apartments. So they had all these trailers, mobile homes. And I was asleep in the early morning hours, and I woke up to this loud bang. And I thought somebody in a car had crashed into our trailer. And immediately after the bang, the trailer started shaking like crazy. I mean, this, this mobile home's just rattling and shaking. And I'm thinking, we're going to roll over and die. And the closet doors were rattling and banging. And this went on for like 30 seconds, but it felt like 30 minutes. Y'all have been through an earthquake, know what I'm talking about. And toward the end of it, I looked over at Jolene, and she was still sound asleep. She was literally bouncing in the bed. The closet doors are rattling. I thought they were going to fall off, and I, and I look over, and she's just... She slept through the whole thing. I had to try to convince her. It really happened, I promise. That was before children when she had, was a heavy sleeper, but ever since, she's a very light sleeper. Doesn't that do it to you, moms? Don't you miss the days when you were a heavy sleeper before you had children? Don't you miss the days before you had children, period. <laughs> hang in there. Grandchildren make it all worthwhile. Just hang in there. So there was, that was a shaking, the first shaking I had ever experienced in California, first earthquake. I've, I've experienced a few more since then. But I believe there's going to be a seismic shaking in the spirit. And it's, it's happening already today. Give me a stinking break. Wars and rumors of war. Matthew 24. Pestilence. Just like when we're done with COVID. Monkey pox. Have you heard about monkey pox yet? Oh, give me a ripping break. It just sounds wrong, doesn't it? I mean, give me smallpox, largepox, but monkeypox. Man, that's really going to freak people out. We start growing a tail. We can laugh or cry because there's something going on in the world. There's something happening. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And, and the Lord promised there will be a shaking in the last days. Those things that we trust in are going to be shaken. 
Look at Hebrews 12, 25. A long passage, but it's so important. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, speaking of God. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There's a shaking coming on. I want you to understand, believer in Jesus Christ, God's going to bring some shaking into your life. If there are things that we trust in in the world more than we trust in God, it needs to be shaken. It needs to fall. Because we have to have our trust solely in God. Solely in the Lord. This is so important. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. Everything else will be shaken. The world system, the economy, everything that humanity puts its, its faith in. Military, whatever it may be. The things that are going on are not random. God is shaking whatever can be shaken so that the only things that can't be shaken will remain. This is actually good for us. Things are being shaken in our life that we've been trusting in falsely. And so God is allowing a little bit of shaking, a little rattling of your closet doors because he, not because he wants to destroy you, but he wants to save you. And if our foundation is built on the wrong thing, it will fall. And so we need to be sure that we are part of the kingdom of God because I'm telling you, all the kingdoms of man will be shaken and will fall. Every kingdom that has ever existed has fallen at some point. And every earthly kingdom is susceptible. But the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And so when this world is being shaken, when the kingdoms of this world are being shaken, you and I are part of the kingdom of God and we will not be shaken. We will not be afraid. We will not flee in terror because we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken and our God is a consuming fire. Another thing Isaiah saw was the temple was filled with smoke. My last point this morning is this. Where there's smoke, right? In 1977, my grandma on my mom's side passed away. And my uncle Alan and his family, my, my mom's brother, they came and they helped us clean out her mobile home. And there was scrap and junk and paper and so much and we we had to load all of this to take it to the dump and we put it in the back of my dad's pickup of course it was a Ford so all that was allowed in the Lair family Ford pickup and so we placed all this trash I mean it's just trash garbage and papers and all just debris like you wouldn't believe and one of my cousins placed a smoldering piece of wood into the pile of trash in the truck. 
Because we back in that day, you could burn your trash. Remember the good old days where you had a burn bin? Burn barrel, that's right. And so I remember those days, you'd throw some trash away, the rest you'd, you'd just set it on fire and, and melt the ozone layer, bless God. Those are good days. So my cousin put a smoldering piece of wood and my uncle said, what are you doing? He pulled it out right away and he made sure nothing had caught on fire. And so my two cousins and I were going to ride on top of the trash to the dump. Don't you remember those days where you could ride on the tailgate, bless God? You could ride in the back of the truck. What happened? We drank out of a water hose. Look, we're normal. And, and so we were all three of us were going to sit on the trash to hold it down and ride to the dump. Man, that would have, you know, for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, that's awesome. But in the last minute, my uncle changed his mind and only allowed me to come with him. And he made me sit in the front seat in the cab. And as we're driving down the highway to the dump, I look in the mirror on the passenger side. And I'm like, what is that? It took me a while. I could not understand. And then it dawned on me, it was smoke. Billows of smoke coming from the bed of the truck. And I kind of said, uh, uh, Uncle Alan... Can you look behind us? And he saw it and he immediately pulled over and, and we pulled off the highway into the desert there and we both jumped out. By now the whole pile of trash was a blazing inferno. And my uncle jumped in the back of the truck and started throwing trash out. I tried to grab a bag and burn my fingers. I said, I'm done. But my uncle is trying to save my dad's truck and he's throwing trash out and a trucker pulled over and came running over with a shovel and a rake. That's all he had. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But what happened is at one point there was a flame coming out of the gas cap. And I yelled at my uncle, Uncle Alan, you got to get out of there. There's a fire at the gas cap. And he would not stop. He kept throwing trash out of that truck. And so the the trucker was yelling at him too, and finally the trucker took a pile of dirt and threw it on, and for some reason the flame went out. Finally, all the trash was out of the bed and in the dirt, and my uncle ended up with second-degree burns and blisters all over his hands and arms, but he saved my dad's truck. The bed of the truck was charred, but that was all. This is a true story. You ask my dad I'm not lying. I'm not making these things up. These things really happened because God knew I was going to be a preacher and needed illustrations. <laughs> so I had all the weirdest things happen to me. When I was in school, I, always, I was always the one that got caught. I knew God was after me the whole time. I'd do anything wrong and I'd get caught. I got swats three times in school. I had to grab my ankles. You know how embarrassing that is in front of your sixth grade class when you're de dating Penny Hinkle? I was dating Penny Hinkle. And I got swats right in front of her. It was one of those dating experiences where we never spoke to each other, but we were going steady. I have really gone off the truck. I gotta, I'll save that story for another time. So the truck, the bed of the truck was charred, but it wasn't burned. It didn't blow up. Now, later on, it caught fire again, and I might have had something to do with that a few years later, but we'll save that. We'll save that for a better time. Had me and my cousins rode in the back of the truck, I don't think I'd be here today. 
I learned that day where there's smoke, there is fire. How many know we need the fire? We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Like we have never needed it before. And along with holiness and glory. These are, these are signs of the presence of God. Holiness, glory, and smoke. And fire. Look at Exodus 19.17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. There's the shaking again. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Smoke, not on the water, on the mountain. Some of you will get that during lunch. Oh, smoke on the water, I get it. There was smoke as the Lord descended on Mount Sinai in fire. And this smoke also happened at the dedication of Solomon's temple. And it will happen in the end times. Look at Revelation 15, 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The smoke came from the glory and the fire of God. Now, I want the real thing. I don't want something phony. I don't want anybody lighting up in the sanctuary. Oh, there's smoke. How many know we don't need to fake it? And when we try to trump something up or force something to happen, we're actually going against the hand of God. Because when God moves, it's real. It doesn't have to be rehearsed. It doesn't have to be practiced. It's real. And I want to see the fire. I would love this sanctuary to be so full of smoke of his presence that we couldn't even come inside. But I'm telling you, thousands drive by this church every day. Don't you want to, to see the glory? The glory cloud over this place in the spirit. May eyes be opened and may people be drawn into this place. You and me drawn into this place because of the glory of God. We need the glory of God in our life. We need his holiness like never before it's a time of holiness. I know God is speaking it to me in my own heart. James, it's, it's time for, for holiness as God defines it. Not self-righteousness, but God's holiness. I want to see his glory. I want his presence so strongly that we can't even enter this place. So let's consider this. When we worship, so do the angels. So let's worship. Let's worship. Every chance we get, let's worship and you will be joined by angels in song. We must be holy and that can only come from God. We can't come from ourselves. As we draw near to his holiness, his holiness will be reflected in our lives. 
And so will his glory. I want to see his glory. There's a shaking coming. If, as your pastor, I feel I need to warn you. There's a shaking coming in the world, in the earth. It's already started. We've seen it. But take heart. You're part of the kingdom of God. You cannot be shaken. His kingdom cannot be shaken. We don't live in fear like the rest of the world who has no hope. We have hope. And some of the shaking God is doing is for our good. There are things we don't want to give up. There are things we don't want to let go of. But if we're going to see his presence, we've got to allow the shaking. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's here. And you feel it. You feel that tug in your heart. You feel that quickening in your spirit. The Lord Jesus is wanting to reach you today. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Today's all we have. And maybe you've been going through a shaking in your life, some hard times, some difficulties, some tragedies, some problems. There's a shaking going on. Things you trusted in have been taken away. What you need is Jesus Christ. You need to come into the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm not going to soft sell this. You've got to surrender all. You've got to be willing to come with open arms. And so if you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're ready to follow him, you're ready to come into the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken, would you just slip up your hand? Anyone in this place, you're ready to give your life to Christ? Anyone at all? Today is the day. Yes. Any others? Praise the Lord. Yes. Thank you for raising your hands. I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But if you raised your hand or if, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, would you just let us know? You just put it on that card in front of you. We will also have elders up here for prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, to seal that commitment you've made today to Jesus, I invite you to come after the service. Would you all pray with me? Even if you're a believer, for those that raise their hands, others are going to be praying with you. If you want to give your life to Christ, just say these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive a new life. I receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I receive eternal life in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the angels are rejoicing in heaven. There's a concert going on. There's a party being thrown in your honor. Welcome to the family of God. Would you stand with me? And again, I would just ask to keep your conversation to the foyer because... There are some that would like to remain in worship and kneel in the altars and receive prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
Thank you for joining us today. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.